tell me, Betty, who are you and what do you do? I am a teacher, essentially. I've taught at various levels, up, right up through university. Um, and uh, I'm a Californian, native Californian. I have lived here most of my life and um, have been involved in the art field forever and ever. I know you're most well known for your book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. And what is the book about? The book, I wrote the book essentially for people who may have a yen to learn to draw, but who have never had any lessons or training in drawing. It's a sort of rock bottom, ABCs, the very the very most basic skills of drawing, uh, which do enable a, a person to draw their perceptions. It's not really an art book. Art is, uh, we never get up to the level of art with a capital A, our students, but uh, but the basic skill of, of doing a good drawing of your perceptions, a self-portrait, a drawing of the inside of your room or whatever, uh, those are the, the basic skills the book uh, teaches. Great. And, you know, wh- what prompted you to write the book, Betty? When I first started teaching uh, in, in uh, a high school in California, uh, it surprised me greatly that the students were having trouble learning to draw. Uh, if one draws, it's like reading. If you read, you, it's hard to understand how an adult can be unable to read. And uh, this puzzlement... Uh, uh, as to why students were having such trouble learning to draw led me to uh, question them. Uh, you know, why, why can't you draw what's right in front of you? Just draw what you see. And the student would say, well, I, I can see it, and I am looking at it, but I don't know how to draw it. Uh, so these puzzlements uh, led me to various experiments, uh, one was the upside-down drawing, and uh, and about that time, the research on uh, brain hemisphere function was published, and that struck me as the answer to this question, that in, in drawing, one needs to shift to another way of thinking, another way of seeing, and uh, and with and that was the the start of the book. And I know, like the work of the book shows exercises to enhance or use the right side of the brain, Betty, over the left hand side, you know, and especially to learn to draw quicker and better. Could you give us a quick insight into how differently the two hemispheres of the brain work? Well, it's uh, if we set aside the the expression the two hemispheres, uh, it, it, which is. is always controversial. There's a lot of uh, uh, disparagement of left brain, right brain, as I'm sure you know. Uh, But if we set that aside, what is not controversial at all is that the human brain, for whatever reason, uh, is specialized for two totally different ways of thinking. 
uh, one located mainly in the left hemisphere for most people, uh, is, uh, uses language, uh, analyzes, does sequential thinking, um, can uh, make verbal judgments about reality. Uh, the other mode of the brain is essentially visual and perceptual and spatial. Uh, um, is extremely powerful. Can uh, can uh, respond to enormous amounts of data and arrive at a a, a, a decision very quickly. For the best example is facial recognition, which that data is extremely complicated because our faces are all alike, more or less with features in the same position, and it has to be analyzed on a very detailed, in a very detailed way to, uh, to recognize one face as compared to another. So the, this other mode is, is nonverbal. The right hemisphere is largely without language, nonverbal, non-sequential, taking in data in huge chunks all at once, um, and visual, spatial, um, it, we'd have to say, quote, irrational, does not, cannot make rational statements such as if A is true and B is true, then C is necessarily true. Um, but it makes, uh, comes to its uh, uh, interpretations in a visual, spatial way. Now, these two systems exist in our brain. They're connected, and information is passed back and forth from hemisphere to hemisphere through this, the great belt of nerve fibers, uh, the corpus callosum, uh, so that one is not out of connection with the other, but they are two, diff two entirely different systems of thinking. I know the book also shows us how to use different techniques to enable a person to bypass the, like, the left brain and access the right brain. How does this happen? Well, one of, one of the insights that I arrived at in working, the, the early working with the students was that if students were naming objects while they were drawing, it, those names seem to call up symbols. That is, in drawing a portrait, they, they would draw the eye, and they would be saying to themselves, I, I'm doing the eyes, and an eye is two curved lines with a circle in the middle, and so on. In, that system is powerful and dominates. So it seemed to me that my job was to find ways to... Uh, to bypass that system, in, in, in a sense, to trick the dominant verbal system out of the task. And, and this led to the invention of several exercises, which are in the early part of the book, um, one of them being upside-down drawing. Um, it, it turns out that the left brain or the what I've called L mode or the language mode uh, 
will not deal or does not deal with upside-down images, says, in effect, if it's upside-down, I can't name things. It doesn't look right, and nothing in the world is upside-down, so I'm not doing that, drops out of the task and, in a sense, allows, then, this nonverbal visual system to come forward and take on the task. And we find that once material, say a complex drawing, is turned upside down, people who can't feel they can't draw a lick can do a quite wonderful copy of, uh, say, a complicated drawing by Picasso. To their great surprise, we turn it right side up, and the, the student is surprised, um, his friends are surprised, <laughs> And uh, and I would ask ask these high school students, how come you can draw upside down when you can't draw right side up? And they would say things like, uh, if it's upside down, I don't know what I'm drawing, and then I can draw it. And that fitted with the uh, research, uh, the right hemisphere, left hemisphere research uh, that was current at the time. So that the the exercises really are designed uh, tasks that are designed for the verbal system L mode or the left hemisphere to turn down. Another example is negative space. If you ask people to focus not on the object but the shapes of the spaces around the object, the verbal system says, in effect, why are you looking at nothing? I do not deal with nothing, and if you're going to do that, I'm out of it. Drops out, and then there's a little increment of time, very interesting, and the negative space pops into shape, into focus. Student draws that shape, which shares edges with the form, and so has inadvertently drawn the form while drawing the negative space, and uh, and this also seems to work. So it, it really these exercises are designed to not force, but to in a way trick the left brain out of the task. And oddly, you can you can use the same trick over and over. It never seems to learn. Is there a connection between the size of the brain, Betty, and, say, the use of hands? Well, yes, of course. Uh, left-handers, uh, uh, nearly all human beings are right-handed. The right hand is controlled by the left brain in that crossover, complicated crossover system of the human um, uh, organism. Um, 90% of humans are right-handed, about 10%, the remainder are left-handed. Uh, but even among the left-handers, about uh, 8% uh, still have left hemisphere language. So language for nearly all of human beings is located largely in the left brain. Uh, now, does handedness affect uh, the ability to draw or to be creative and so on? 
I think I think in a in a way it does because if there is what's called mixed dominance, that is some language in the right hemisphere, as well as uh, language in the left hemisphere, there seems to be better access to both of these mental systems, and this gives a person an access, easy access to the function, the, all of the functions of the brain, whereas for a person who is right-handed, right-eyed, right-footed, and strongly uh, with strong dominant left hemisphere language, the shift to the other system uh, can be more difficult. So it does affect thinking, ability to draw uh, to some extent. We find our left-handers have a small advantage, at least. Your methods, would they allow a person without an art background to learn to draw quicker and, say, more creatively? Well, we 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 actually do not rise to art with a capital A. So uh, we're focused on the very basic rock-bottom skills of drawing. It's quite comparable to learning how to read. Uh, And interestingly, for learning the basic skills of drawing, there are five basic skills that we know of. And in learning to read, there are about five basic skills. So these two uh, ways of thinking seem are, seem to be somewhat like twins: reading for the left hemisphere, drawing for the right hemisphere. Um, for reading, for example, the, the basic skills are phonics, uh, making syllables, uh, syntax, constructing a sentence. Uh, uh, vocabulary and comprehension. For basic drawing, there are five skills. The skills of seeing edges, seeing spaces, negative spaces, seeing relationships, that so-called perspective and proportion, seeing lights and shadows, and seeing the gestalt or the uh, thing, it's a so-called thingness of the thing or the character, the, uh, the, the personhood of the person you're drawing. Uh, so it's remarkable that these two skills have such similarity and are controlled by the separate hemispheres, largely. So yes, uh, I think we would all agree that bringing the whole brain to bear on any problem is probably better than uh, one hemisphere or the other. And learning to draw, I believe, makes the uh, functions and the capabilities of that silent system more available for problem solving. How important are our observational skills in regards to developing our creativity, Betty? Hidden in our language, are references to seeing problems. When we 
finally understand something, we'd say things like, now I see it, now I get it, now I can see the forest for the trees, uh, so on and so on. Uh, so, and most uh, creative people, uh, many creative inventions have been the result of, say, dream states or sudden uh, uh, seeing an Einstein seeing the image of the moving train and so on. Um, uh, so that the evidence is that from cre creative problem solving, the history and cre creative problem solving, that seeing is important. But in our schools, especially in Western culture, we do not train this system. In America, the teaching of drawing ended 50 years ago. That is, uh, drawing one's perceptions, these basic skills that I'm talking about. But in problem solving, and when, when in our work with corporations, for example, we we have people focus on, uh, for example, uh, seeing what's in the negative space of a problem, seeing the proportion, how the proportions, you know, how big is this compared to that, uh, uh, seeing the edges of a problem, where does one thing end and another thing begin, seeing the lights and shadows of a problem, what is still obscured in this problem and what is now in the open and available. And finally, seeing the gestalt of the problem, the whole, the whole thing of the problem. So these skills can be brought to bear on, um, on, on, on problem solving. And uh, of course, we've, we've been doing that with corporations, with various corporations. What do you think, say, blocks people's creativity, Betty? I, I honestly think that most people are creative uh, and that they sense that they're blocked in some way. One of the odd things that we found is that Many people cre uh, equate creativity with being artistic in some way. Uh, this is not necessarily true, of course, because creativity uh, crosses all fields. But uh, we have found that uh, our students report, for example, that that uh, having learned to draw, they feel themselves to be more creative. Um, as I say, I don't actually believe that. I believe that that uh, people are inherently creative, interested in problem solving, and uh, 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 you know, a housewife who creative, who creatively invents new recipes and um, um, designs uh, new arrangements in her home, and so on. all of that is to me very creative. But it's not, it doesn't get the stamp of creativity until somehow it's connected with artistic ability. And, and that, I think, I, I think we're doing a disservice to our students by not teaching them basic drawing. It's, it's very easy. They, they learn it easily and readily. Uh, 
and perhaps would feel more creative as a result. You mentioned that learning to draw is like learning to read. What do you mean by this? Well, for reasons that are also unclear, reading seems to require good teaching, adequate teaching. Uh, I have known adults who were not adequately taught to read uh, as, as, a ch- as children, and um, uh, they have a very, very hard time learning to read on their own at a later... Th- otherwise, all those people who are who happen to be uh, unable to read would go teach themselves how to read. And, and learning to draw it seems to be the same. It is very hard on your own to teach yourself how to draw. I th- and I think the reason for that is that the, the, the skills of drawing, say uh, learning to see negative spaces, are, are sort of off the wall. Who would imagine that that would be helpful in learning to draw unless someone shows you how to do it or teaches you how to do it? So both of these skills, uh, which I regard really as as sort of basic skills for these two basic ways of thinking, reading for the language system, drawing for the visual system, uh, for for some reason require teaching. And, And that's what we do. We try to make the teaching very clear. It's very basic. Uh, it's not esoteric in any way. Um, and once you, and then for, to end further, in a further sense, once you have the basic skills of reading, you can take it to any heights. And once you have the basic skills of drawing, you can take that to any heights in the art field that you might want to. But both of these skills are involved in problem solving. Do you think the advances in technology and, say, IT are impacting our creative potential? And if so, how? You know, that is really a tough question. Um, somehow, I'm afraid that it is it is doing a disservice to these visual skills that I'm talking about. And yet, on the other hand, uh, uh, computer imagery and certainly television, IT in general, uh, uh, has brought uh, uh, visual imagery uh, into people's lives the way it never was, say, when I was growing up as a child. Um, language was much more dominant then and images are as we see in the daily news how dominant and important imagery uh, has become so uh, i just find that question very very difficult i honestly don't know yeah. what what the impact is uh, uh one adverse uh thing is that uh it it t- takes up more and more time in, tra- in, in education, and, uh, and less and less time is devoted to these basic visual skills. 
I'd like to see drawing brought back. In fact, my the the greatest goal of all of this work has been to re, to have drawing reinstated uh, in public schools. Um, it's not happening, and it may not happen in my lifetime. But it is the basic training for that half of the brain, and we need to do it. I know you touched on problem solving as well in regard to companies, and I know some of the companies you've worked with have been Apple, IBM, and Walt Disney. But like, how does your problem solving methods work in, say, a business environment? Well, as your questions have indicated, uh, uh, creative problem solving is a very big deal in modern business practice. Uh, books and books and books have been written about, uh, about creativity in business, and um, uh, many, uh, quite a number of corporations in the pharmaceutical industry, for example, and uh, uh, certainly with companies like Apple and Walt Disney that are visual, visually based businesses have uh, reached out to us. Um, and basically, we say to them, we do not know you, your business problems, uh, but we can teach you how to think in visual ways. And we then proceed, actually, to teach them these basic skills of seeing, how to see edges, where does where where does the financial problem end and the design problem uh, begin? The, where is that edge and is it flexible? What lies in the negative spaces? Uh, in business practice, this is sometimes called white spaces, and and it is discussed in business books, uh, meaning what. What is in the context? What lies outside the immediate uh, problems, the immediate data? Uh, and then what, what are the proportions, in, again, in problem solving? What is the perspective of this? How, how do you see this problem in perspective? What looms forward and what is farther back and so on? lights and shadows, and finally to see again the, the whole problem. So it, we're, we're teaching again these basic skills. It's quite like teaching people who can't read how to read and then uh, expecting them to use that new skill to tackle the problem. Do you think when we become more creative, we become healthier and happier in our lives? Again, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Our students report that this is the case. Uh, we, the, the, the statement we most often hear from our workshop students is, this course has changed my life. And I say to them, what do you mean by that? How do you mean that? And they say to me, life seems much richer to me now. I'm seeing more. And what I'm seeing seems often very beautiful. And this gives me great joy. 
So yes, I, I do. I do think that this different way of seeing, where rather than just naming things, and this is another thing, our students often say, before I learned to draw, I was just naming things. That's a tree. That's a flower. That's a man. That's a woman. Often with uh, that's a pretty woman, or that's a not pretty woman, or so on. But I never really was seeing, and now I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is so interesting. So yes, I I do believe that learning to draw uh, uh, enriches one's life. Do you think your methods could help in improving, say, a person's mental health as well? Or that's a tough question. Um, um, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure I about that. I'm certainly not an expert on mental health. Uh, I, it may make a person feel more grounded, more, you know, in living in reality. One, in drawing, one confronts reality, not a symbol or, you know, and, and po- possibly that uh, it would be helpful. That would be an interesting research question for sure to teach people with mental problems how to draw and see what happens. How do your methods work, say, in art therapy and psychology, Betty? Oddly, art therapy, art therapists have more or less rejected the idea of teaching people to draw realistically. It's, it's more, you know, as I understand it at any rate, uh, art therapy, art therapists give people paints and art materials and and have them just uh, paint or draw their emotions, uh, which apparently is helpful. It, it does apparently help people a great deal. But um, uh, I, I have not uh, seen art therapists uh, take up the, this question of uh, learning how to, quote, really draw uh, as a means of therapy. Uh, in psychology, <coughs> I'm um, I'm going to make a far-out statement that uh, perhaps if psychologists themselves learned to draw and did a drawing, a portrait of each of their patients, that they perhaps would see those patients in new ways that might be very helpful. In many cultures, Betty... Writing is regarded as an art form. Can you talk about the importance of writing, say, as a way to be creative? Well, yes, as a writer, writing, writing, writing is very hard work. And anyone who tells you it is that they they love to write and look forward to writing, I, I have always said I'm afraid they're not serious about it. If you're serious about it, it's very, very hard work. Trying to trying to put those ephemeral thoughts into words, uh, and often it, it is helpful to be able to visualize. All all of the art forms uh, clearly require both hands of the both modes of thinking. I know in your book there, Betty, as well, you started to link art and science. Have there been any advances on this, Betty? And do you see any more advances to come? Well, there, there, uh, if we re- 
regard art uh, drawing, say, as a kind of scientific endeavor to unlock visual reality, um, there is quite a lot of research going on uh, on on drawing itself, uh, uh, especially more research in England, actually, than in America. So, uh, drawing, first of all, many scientists uh, draw uh, and actually draw their theories and so on, little sketches and so on. Uh, So there is a link there, certainly in visualization um, uh, and in... uh, the science is now looking at drawing itself um, in in terms of research, especially as I say, especially in England. There's the International Drawing and Cognition Research Group, uh, Drawing Research Lab, and so on. Um, and there, they are also looking at why it's difficult for people to learn to draw. They say, and how to fix that. Unfortunately, often they, my book appears in the, uh, in the list, in the bibliography, and uh, sometimes is dismissed as, uh, uh, oh yes, that right brain, left brain stuff, uh, uh, but not in every case. Would you have any examples of people, say, Behe, that have changed their life as a result of reading your book? Okay, I can only tell from what people tell me. That there have been students who learned, never knew how to draw, learned basic drawing, and went on to develop a career in art, uh, doing paintings, even uh, also teaching themselves, teaching other people, uh, designing greeting cards, that sort of thing. Um, uh, so that, it, it, again, it's quite like reading. Does learning to read help you to find careers? Yes, it does. Does learning to draw help in finding careers? Well, yes, it does. Uh, Lisey Clydman, who is quite high up now in Pixar, the the animation company here in California, uh, uh, actually became a teacher of our, our workshops and has developed a career. So there are instances, but mainly people use it for their own satisfaction, I think, really. Many artists are struggling to achieve their dreams. What advice would you give them, Betty? I would try to be uh, as open as possible to all the possibilities of one's brain. Uh, Not to shut down, not to say, oh, I never had talent. Uh, I can't do that. No one in my family is artistic. I can't do that. I wouldn't do that. I would, I would go for it. It's a skill that is quite easy to learn, given proper instruction. That's what you need. Given proper instruction, you can learn to draw and then take it from there. 
uh, I think it's unfortunate that people are shut down by the notion that uh, of lack of talent. Uh, we don't say that about reading. We don't say, "Oh, I have no talent for reading. I never, I would never try it." We just assume that people can do it, and therefore, we teach them, and they learn to read, and they go on with their lives and careers. We need to do the same thing. It's the other half of the brain. We need to do the same thing with drawing. If anyone wants to find out more about your work, Betty, like how could they do it? Uh, yes, we have a website, a, a DRSB workshop called drsbworkshop.com, and uh, uh our schedules are there, our workshop schedules. My son is doing a workshop in, in the south of France in July, for example. That workshop would be scheduled. Or if people just want to write me, uh, uh, my, you can obtain my email address from the DRSB workshop site. That's great, Betty. Like, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, but thanks so much for coming on the show and for talking with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, and I wish you the very best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you.